For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. We're going to stop there just because verse 21 is so impactful. I want us to really think about it. Sometimes for people that grow up in the church, we don't read verses with all the impact that they really have. So let's try and put fresh glasses on and realize exactly what Paul is saying and how big a deal it is. So he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What on earth does he mean? Because it's kind of weird. What does he mean to say to live is Christ and to die is gain? He means a couple things. So let's break it down. So one, he means everything that he does on earth is for Jesus. Every single thing he does. That's the first point. If you're taking notes, write that. Everything Paul does on earth is dedicated to and for God. It's like that song we just sang. I live for you alone. I dedicate my life to you. Here I stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrender. Everything is for God. Everything is to be dedicated to God. That's one sense in what Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What else does it mean? It means, Lord, we give you our heart, just like in that song. Lord, I give you my heart and my soul. We give God all of our affection and our devotion. So in the Bible, when we talk about the heart, we don't necessarily mean our feelings. That's part of it. And we don't just mean our head either. When the Bible says heart, what it really means is that in you in which you put the most trust. What is it that you trust the most? What is it that you're chasing after? Well, Paul's saying, Lord, I trust you the most. I trust you the most, and I live for you alone. So sometimes Christians, we might say, or even non-Christians, I trust this thing the most, or God, I trust you the most. But through your actions or your feelings, maybe you don't because you're afraid of something. Or maybe you're chasing after money or good grades or fame, lots of different things. So when we say to live as Christ, we mean, one, God, I do everything for you. And two, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you all the things I trust in, everything that I care for the most, God. That's you and you first. And what does God say for us to trust in and do and live out in the world? He tells us to live and um, love other people, to love other people and to choose to love other people, to put other people's good needs and wants and desires above your own an active choice of sacrifice and loving another person and choosing to do what's better for them than what's better for you. And we're going to see exactly how Paul does this in a few verses. What else does he say in verse 21? He says, to die is gain. And that really links up with the last couple verses in chapter 1 that we went over before. Paul's preaching in the gospel. He's happy that he's in jail even though he's in jail, because it's going to lead to the gospel being proclaimed more. To die is gain because Paul knows, as a Christian, no matter what happens, God's going to use his life to spread the gospel. We see this also in the Bible, in the book of Acts. You guys know the story of Stephen? No. So Stephen is in the very beginning of Acts. After everyone got the Holy Spirit for the first time, God sent down the Holy Spirit after Jesus went up into heaven. And Stephen goes to some of these folks, and he's like, you guys don't know what the heck you're talking about. And he's telling them all these things and everything. And they get really mad at him, okay? 
they actually end up killing him because of his faith in Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. Of course, it's sad Stephen died. But what happens because of Stephen's death is all the Christians spread out into the world, across the whole world, all the known world, and they tell people more about Jesus. See, that's a good thing when Paul says to die is gain for the faith in the early Christian time because more people learn more about God. It's a cause for them to spread out into the world and tell people more about him. See, the early Christians were crazy, you guys. They were absolutely crazy um, because they believed in this little secret, this little thing we've talked about before called the gospel, the gospel. And for some folks, we kind of know what that is. And for others, maybe we aren't so sure. So I kind of wanted to break down exactly what it is. So Paul uses this word gospel. And you see, he actually takes it from Romans. Rome, the people, Romans. Early, early on, they used this word. And originally, it's called, this Greek word called euangelion. Can you guys say that? <laughs> say it again, euangelion. It's a weird, it's a really weird word, isn't it? Okay, well, I bring it up because originally, Rome is this huge, huge, huge country. They conquered everyone and everywhere. So their kingdom stretches out like thousands of miles, right? So if they had a battle, let's say on the edge of their kingdom, they wouldn't know who won or lost because they didn't have like phones. They had no idea what was going on. So they would send a runner or someone on a horse probably straight across the whole land into the kingdom to tell them the good news. It's like, guys, guess what? Rome won. We won the battle. That's what the good news is originally. So when Paul says the gospel is good news, what he means is that Jesus, in a sense of a battle, he beat death. Jesus beat death. That's the gospel. And that God came down as a human to die on the cross to save you, to save you from your sin. So when Paul says it's good news, he means those are like fighting words. It's good news. Paul wants to tell you that Jesus Christ beat death for you. He wants you to know that Jesus is king. It's the gospel. It's the good news, the secret. The secret that Paul wants people to know. He wants everyone else to, to know. That's what he's so intent on spreading and telling more people about. So there's these other early Christians. Like I said, Stephen was one of the people who died for the faith. And let me, let me be clear, because there were some folks who were curious about this last week. James also talks about Christians being persecuted in the early church. When we talk about that, and the first martyrs are what we call them, the first people that died for being Christians, we're not saying you're going to die for being a Christian. I would <laughs> just be clear. Um, we don't mean that, okay? But I just want you to know, early, early on, Christians were really disliked for what they believed. Okay, so, but yet, and yet, 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 they still chose to believe what they did and to talk about it. And I want you to see how just motivating that is and how brave and bold it is. It's crazy that they did this. One guy, this, this specific guy, his name was Polycarp. And he existed in the early, early church, um, like the year 150. So, if you know about years, when Jesus died, it was around the year zero to 30 or whatever, somewhere in there. Polycarp was one of the very first early Christians, and he was another martyr is what we call them, people that died for being Christians. They were persecuted for it. And Polycarp, we know him as Polycarp from Smyrna. 
Polycarp of Smyrna. It's kind of a funny name for a place. So Polycarp, um, I'm going to read you guys a quote from him. Polycarp was another martyr. He was another person who died for being a Christian. And this quote is kind of crazy. It's a little bit gross maybe. But I want you to hear it just to hear how bold these Christians were and what they said and did. And then to think about, man, is what, is what I'm doing in my own life nearly as bold? Do I have as good a reason for living as they? Okay, let's read it. So Polycarp says, I'll, I'll read the whole thing now. Suffer me to be the food of wild beasts. This is, this is on his way to being sacrificed to lions. Okay, it's kind of brutal. Whereby I may attain unto God. I am the wheat of God, and am to be ground by the teeth of wild beasts, in order that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. I earnestly wish for the wild beasts that are prepared for me, whom I heartily desire may soon kill me. I'll entice them to devour me entirely and suddenly, that they may not spare me as they have others whom they fear to touch. But if they are unwilling to meddle with me, I will even compel them to it. So he's saying, you guys, he's standing in front of lions, and he's literally having them attack him. And in the story, they actually didn't. God protected him. But that's besides the point. He so, so seriously believes, like Paul, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That he, that he is willing to, like Christ, be sacrificed so that other people can learn about Jesus. And he so seriously believes to, to that to die is gain that he knows when he were to die, if he does, the gospel will be spread. So there's a principle here that I kind of want to pull out of, out of this that's really important for us to know. And it's, it's written kind of confusingly up here, and I kind of want to bring it down and make it a little more applicable for you guys, something that can impact your daily life. So a true understanding of the gospel, like Paul urges for the Philippians to have, can't be separated from being like or imitating Jesus Christ. And what exactly do I mean? So if you really truly understand the gospel, then you know that the only reason you know it is because it was given to you as a gift, this understanding. And if you know that, then you wouldn't hold it in your heart from other people, but you'd be willing to go and to spread it unto others and to tell them about Jesus. And like I was saying earlier, to be more like him, which is what Paul wishes for the Philippians when he says, I want you to learn about Jesus, to love more people so that you can harvest righteousness, which means be more like God, be more like God. Okay. So once you've learned the gospel, like I was saying, you must share it. So here's, an, here's another verse from Paul specifically, and this is a little further down in the chapter. So let's read verses 23 through 26, okay? I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus because of my coming to you again. So what, is, what does Paul mean? He's saying he's hard-pressed between two things. 
one thing, he wants to go and be with Jesus and know him more. He really wants to know and be, love God even more intensely than he is. But here's the other thing. There's two options. The other one is this. I can stay on earth and I can choose to love people even more. And through loving and being with other people more, I can teach them more about Jesus. Which option seems more like something that a Christian would do? One is for the self to get to know God more, and the other is stay on earth and help others. Well, Christ would definitely do the second one, which is why Paul does the second one, which is he chooses to stay and love others on earth. That's the thing. He's pressed between these two things, but he ultimately decides to help love other Christians. Again, to live as Christ, because that's exactly what Christ would do. He'd decide to remain on earth to help and love, teach others about the right way of living. So Paul really is embodying. He's living out exactly what he's teaching here. Let's continue on to verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of and, and I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have so there's three, four key things here that Paul is saying to the Christians. He's saying, listen, if you live and imitate Jesus, these things are all going to happen in your body and community of believers. And listen, he's speaking to a group of people. It's really important that we do life together with others. Shameless plug, that's why you should do our small groups and study the Bible with other people, okay? Because it's good, and Jesus wants you to, all right? It's better for you. So... Paul says we have, as Christians, we'll be in one spirit, one faith, one body, and have no fear. Let's take each one at a time. So one spirit, what does he mean? Well, okay, raise your hand if you're on a sports team. Wow, that's actually a lot of people. What about choir, choir or band? Okay, so I think that captures pretty much everyone. So during a sports game, right, your whole team is kind of in one spirit, so to speak. You're all energized by the same thing. Have any of you ever been, after like a, high, a halftime, halftime period, your coach like rallies you up and you're all amped up and you're ready to go? You're like running out? You're like all have one spirit. You're kind of united in a way. Paul is saying, as Christians, we're all united by God's spirit. And that's different than any other spirit on earth, but it's somewhat similar because the Holy Spirit comes down and connects us all. All the Christians are connected by God's Holy Spirit. So there's one spirit for Christians. What else does Paul say? One faith. As a team, whether you're in band, choir, athletics, you're all trusting in one thing. You all have allegiance. You are all trusting. You all look up to your coach and each other. It would be really weird if during like a basketball game or something, you turned around and just punched your other teammate. Or if you suddenly took the ball and shot it in your own hoop, right? Or, or if you're in band, if you're in band, if you're in a concert, you just would have turned and start playing your own song. 
That would be really weird, wouldn't it? That Oh, I'm sorry. So when Paul says one faith, you can also think of it that way. Everyone is devoted to one goal, and they all trust the same person. They're all united. They're all loyal to one thing. All right? What else does he say? One body. Do you see how all these things are kind of similar and they tie together a little bit? One body, everyone is united in one big group, moving and acting and loving together. And lastly, Christians, Christians don't have fear because this is what the good news tell us, the gospel, that Jesus conquered death. So we don't have to be afraid anymore. When in certain songs, you ever heard death has lost its sting? We sing all these lyrics, but we don't actually think about what they mean. Songs are written really intentionally. Death has lost its sting because Jesus beat death on the cross. He died and came back to life. So for Christians, we have that same power in us, which Jesus did, to conquer death. So we don't have to be afraid anymore. There's no reason to be. So as Christians, we are to purposely look and think and love God, all right? Compare that to this out-of-control type of generation and way of thinking that we sometimes do. We don't even think about which direction we're heading. We're just running and running and running in all these different directions like a bunch of crazy chickens or something. Just like running straight into walls and all this. Think about, again, at the very beginning, what was it that in your mind popped up as to why you do certain things? Is there in any way in which it compares to the type of living that Paul is living, Stephen or Polycarp? That quote I read, that really gruesome quote of the guy getting eaten by a lion. Um, consider that and think about it. So as we split into small groups, we're going to talk and think about those different things and also go over some different questions. So I'm going to end in a prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word and your, your means of communicating with us. God, it, it is so special to us and we take it seriously. I ask that as we move into this small group time, we would have good conversations and discussing and breaking down um, what exactly you laid on each and all of our hearts this week. We thank you so much for this time and we say all these things in your name.